high cholesterol. There's a really good chance either you or someone you know has been told they have high cholesterol before. Now, the specific saying high cholesterol is a topic that's probably made for an entire podcast in of itself, but most people in my clinic want to know if there's anything they can do short of medications that might help lower their cholesterol. So today we're going to look at the evidence for using exercise to lower cholesterol. Let's get started. Welcome back, everybody, to episode three of the fifth season of the Building Life on Access podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Renneke. I'm a board-certified family medicine physician and sports medicine physician. Thanks so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Our goal here is to help keep you active and healthy for life through actionable, evidence-informed education. So let's talk about cholesterol today, right? So if you want to learn out, though, you can go back to season two of this podcast, and I go into probably way too much detail about lipids. So if you have a question about cholesterol in general and all that stuff, the entire season is dedicated to that. So if you, yeah, because if you, you, you want maybe have something to listen to as you go to sleep, you know, something like that, it's there. But long story short, if you haven't listened to that, I'm going to recap it here just a little bit so we understand what is cholesterol, what we're looking at here, and as we talk about the podcast today. So long story short, we have lipoproteins that carry around cholesterol in the body, right? So cholesterol is kind of this fatty substance, and it doesn't mix well in the blood. So it doesn't like play well with fat. So it needs something to carry it, and those are those lipoproteins. So these lipoproteins then also have smaller proteins on them called apolipoproteins, and specifically this apolipoproteins. Apolipoprotein B, this is how we identify all of our potentially athogenic particles. So athogenic meaning can cause atherosclerosis. So the particles like LDL and VLDL, those are typically, you know, our athogenic ones. And, and there's other ones as well, but those are the main ones. However, on your standard lipid panel, so if you go to the doctor, you get your cholesterol checked, usually what you'll have is total cholesterol, your LDL triglycerides, and your HDL cholesterol. So you don't have any of these, you know, markers like ApoB or anything like that. And just want to let you know, it is, like I said, it is what it is. And it's important to know that the measurements of these LDL and HDL on those tests. So when you go to the doctor, get your lipid panel, they say, this is my LDL. It's not telling you how many LDL particles you have. It's saying the total amount of cholesterol carried on those lipoproteins. So let's just step back one second. That's very confusing. The lipoproteins carry cholesterol around. So they're kind of like boats. Think about a boat. So the test that you're getting is showing you how much that boat is carrying. So let's just say, for example, let's say you have one boat and it's carrying 10 passengers, you know, and that's, and then let's say your cholesterol would be 10 then. And then let's say you have one boat and then you have a hundred passengers. So then your cholesterol would be a hundred, but it doesn't tell you how many particles there are. And that actually may be important as well. But just want to let you know when you are getting those LDL and HDL markers, it's telling you how much cholesterol not necessarily those particles. And some people say knowing the exact number of particles is better, but because that's not a widespread test yet, I think we're getting there. We use LDLC as kind of a proxy saying, hey, generally, if you have a very, very high LDL, you tend to have more of the particles as well. So it kind of tracks pretty well. It's not 100%, that's for sure. And there's lots of active research going on in that. But generally speaking, if you have an enormously high LDL, it's pretty challenging to have a low particle count. So that's what we typically have. But just for completeness, I want to say that. So when you get your doctor's, you know, the test there, we will look and say, hey, look at all those things. And it can tell us quite a bit, but it doesn't tell necessarily the entire picture. So classically, though, when you're saying, hey, well, what, what should that test look like? I don't know, Jordan, what should it be? Well, traditionally, we want to have a higher HDL and then lower LDL and triglycerides. And so if I had to say, hey, if I had to give some up the entire thing of, hey, what should my cholesterol panel look like? Lower LDL, lower triglycerides, higher HDL. If you have that, I'm feeling pretty good usually about what your cholesterol looks like. And so the question here is, how does exercise normally affect blood lipids? So I'm going to kind of walk through what we see when we exercise, how it affects things. So when we do exercise, it's known that your HDL goes up, triglycerides go down, and LDL goes down. So this is like 
in real time while we're doing it. And it isn't as easy as HDL is the good cluster, right? I'm sure everyone's heard that HDL is good, LDL bad. Uh, it's much more nuanced than that. But that's typically the thing that if you have a HDL that is higher, that typically means you're in a better metabolic situation. Typically, that's not all the time. There's some nuance to that. But generally speaking, if your HDL is higher, that means we're in a better situation. And typically when HDL goes up, LDL and triglycerides go down. That's an overall better picture of metabolic health. So once again, just saying those are what we're, the targets we're looking for. And exercise does all of those things. So that's fantastic. And the question is, how do these also happen? Like, how do we get those results? Well, we're going to break down one by one. For triglycerides, what happens is when you're exercising, this exercise then triggers something to happen where it increases in something called lipoprotein lipase, which this is a enzyme that kind of cleaves off or cuts triglyceride-containing lipoproteins like chylomicrons and LDLs. They break it off. So from this, you know, kind of triglyceride-containing these lipoproteins, they cleave them off and they break out into free fatty acids and glycerol. And then those are used by exercising muscles. So essentially saying, hey, I need some more substrate for exercise. We're exercising and need some more energy. And this is where they break it off there. So that's one reason why how we decrease our triglycerides with exercise. From an HDL perspective, exercise increases or induces the production of apolipoprotein A1, which is the main protein of HDL. So I mentioned before apolipoprotein B, right? That's what we see on the VLDL and IDL and all that stuff. But on the opposite side, for the HDL, it does not have apolipoprotein B. That has apolipoprotein A. So just to make things even more confusing. But when we have exercise, when exercise happens, we have an increased production of apolipoprotein A, which say may be helpful for producing more HDL. And HDL is kind of like a scavenger. And it'll transport excess cholesterol from places like the arterial walls back to the liver to dispose or recycle it. So that's really good. So in general, higher HDL means more potential cholesterol clearance. So that's a good thing. Moving on to LDL then. Exercise can increase the amount of LDL receptors on the liver. So if there's more binding spots to bind LDL, then there'll be less in the circulation that can get stuck into arterial walls. And this is kind of like the crux of most of our LDL lowering treatments. You think about statins, they do that. PCSK9 inhibitors will increase the LDL receptors. Essentially, if you have more receptors hanging out there on the liver, your body's like, oh, okay, well, if there's more receptors, then more LDL can bind and get taken out of circulation. And when there's less stuff floating around, there's less uh, probable chance that something bad's going to happen. That's kind of what I think about it. You know, if you have... A uh, hundred hoodlums hanging out in a neighborhood, and then you decrease that down to ten, then there's a lot less chance of badness happening. And that's kind of the idea behind when we have increased LDL receptors. This will generally happen. On top of that, we talk about specifically with our lipoproteins what happens, but exercise is also great for insulin resistance. And we know that insulin resistance plays a huge role in atherosclerosis as well. And when you exercise, insulin resistance is, like I said, improved. So it helps with insulin sensitivity, how you take up and utilize glucose. That is a very well-known thing with exercise. And also exercise can reduce chronic inflammation. And that may seem counterintuitive because although exercise produces inflammation in the short term, long term, it actually reduces inflammation. And we do know that inflammation also plays a key role in starting the process of atherosclerosis, right? If we think, go back to atherosclerosis, the LDL particle or, you know, ApoB containing particle gets, gets in there and then we have inflammation and then kind of creates more of this storm and that kind of leads to this fatty streak and then it builds, builds and becomes a plaque. And so, Inflammation plays a big role in that. And so now we know how we're going to lower lipids. Let's talk about the different types of exercise we can do to actually lower our lipid levels. So first, let's start with aerobic exercise. And when we see aerobic exercise, what we see is predominantly an increase in HDL as the main benefit for our lipids. And honestly, it's not even that much. It seems like around three to six nanograms per deciliter. So not huge. And there's mixed results with LDL and triglycerides. So Predominantly, I mean, looking at HDL improving with aerobic exercise, maybe maybe plus or minus something with LDL and triglycerides. And they did seem to show a trend as well, where if you have 
a higher intensity, either high intensity versus moderate at higher intensity had more improvement with these numbers. So I think this goes with most things exercise with blood pressure and with cholesterol so far. If you exercise more or more intensely, you tend to get better results, which is you know pretty understanding there. Moving on to resistance training. Resistance training tends to improve total cholesterol, LDL, and non-HDL and triglycerides in adults. And non-HDL, that's just kind of a blanket term for a few. You know, if you have your total cholesterol and then you remove your HDL, that's non-HDL. Um, and that includes, like I said, things like LDL and VLDL, but it's just getting HDL out of there to determine that. And so resistance training improves like pretty much everything, but specifically LDL, non-HDL, and triglycerides, not necessarily talking about the HDL. But there's one study is looking at showing a 16-week strength training program decreased 9.5% uh, of the total cholesterol, 18% for LDL, and 28% for triglycerides. So that's fantastic. And otherwise, other studies look at kind of range from anywhere decreasing those numbers from 8 to 20 nanograms per deciliter. So not bad by any stretch of imagination, but not world-beating either. And then I also kind of ran across, does exercise like help pediatrics patients as well? You know, when we have adolescents or kids and like adults, we do see improvements in total cholesterol, HDL, triglycerides, and regular exercise in youth also decreases the risk of hyperlipidemia in adulthood. And so definitely want to encourage exercise. Obviously that's, come on, you know, I'm going to say, Hey, yeah, we should exercise pretty much throughout our entire lifespan. I think we have a, as a society do a terrible job if we have our kids on a lot of activities and not that that's a bad thing, but we, they're exercising a lot when they're young and all of a sudden they hit high school and they stop playing sports and they're like, all right, that's like, that's it. Like we're done being active. And that's really unfortunate. You know, we want to create lifelong athletes here. That's the whole name, name and goal of the podcast. So starting them young is not only beneficial from decreasing the risk, but also if they do have things like metabolic syndrome or obesity, then that can help improve their lipids as well. And so who benefits the most from exercise though, from lipids? Obviously we all benefit, but some will benefit more than others. And it appears that those who already have elevated lipid values stand to gain the most um, and improve the most. And also people maybe who have obesity, um, that may benefit on top of that as well. And that kind of makes sense, right? And we talked about that with with our hypertension last, last week, saying, hey, if you have elevated blood pressure, like you just got more to improve, it's just easy, there's more difference you can make more gains you can get i guess we can think about it that way and so if you are higher and your ldl is higher you have more to potentially lower and so people who have obesity or who have uh, higher lipids tend to improve more but like i said we'll all see changes you know i said if you go in there and you are doing your exercise and you checked your lipids before and after i bet you'll see some sort of improvement like if you have never weren't exercising before regardless of your body mass and insulin sensitivity all those things you'll see benefits no doubt it will just be more stark if you have elevated cholesterol to begin with. And so understanding all of this, now the question is, well, what type of exercise should I be doing to improve my lipids? And the short answer is we should be doing multiple different modalities to improve your cholesterol. And what I mean by that is we should be doing aerobic training. I said that increases our HDL that we saw pretty consistently. And then we should be doing resistance training as well. That improves pretty much everything else. And it's just good advice in general. You know, the physical activity guidelines we continue to see, they recommend, yep, do aerobic and resistance training. And then just time and time again, as I continue to look in the data, it's like, oh, maybe there's a reason for why they made these recommendations because it seems to be that when we pair them together, we get the best results. And on top of that, you know, we choose our exercise modalities. You can do what you want, but the more you tend to do seems to be better. And once again, that seems to be a common theme in that, hey, uh, if I just exercise more, better things start to happen. And it's kind of, you know, it seems intuitive, right? But it's true. Right? We kind of see that the more exercise you do, the better things you get. And so I want you to have a a wide ranging uh, activities that you're doing and then also doing them, you know, at, at whatever time you have, but the more, the better. And then finally, on top of that, higher intensity also seems to probably improve outcomes a little more. And now this one for me, viewed as a Jordan, like I have an option of doing, you know, either a combo 
a, a certain amount of, amount of time or the intensity, and I can only do two out of three, which one you choose, I would choose making sure we have a combo and making sure our number, our time is good. So for me, I'm not, I'm not as concerned about intensity. That's more of a, hey, maybe it happens, but if you, know, if you have to do lower intensity exercise, but you can do more of it, then I will pick that every day of the week. I think that would be the benefit there. But if you're just like, I'm an optimizer, Jordan. I want to do everything. Then combining, you know, have a mixture of resistance training, aerobic, doing as much as you can, and mixing in some high intensity sessions will be great. And I don't want to say, hey, just do nothing but high intensity exercise. I think that leads to a whole host of problems in terms of not only compliance but burnout and potential injury reduction, uh, all this or injury risk increase. So there's lots of reasons I wouldn't want to do intense exercise every single day. But we want to challenge ourselves, and that's what I think would be my recommendations. And one thing I love doing in these podcast episodes is how do these compare to medications, right? So if you think about it, you know, if you just Google cholesterol-lowering medications, you will see a firestorm on the internet everywhere talking about statins and it is what it is. And that's not where this discussion is going. That's not where it's going, I promise you. But how does this compare to medications? But we do know that statins are our mainstay, right? So that's like the first thing. You have high cholesterol, boom, statin, that's what we do. There's not a lot of direct comparison of exercise versus statins. There is one network meta-analysis that I saw that looked at endothelial stiffness. So meaning, hey, how does the endothelial or the inner lining of the blood vessels, how does that react to um, certain stresses or blood flow moving through? Like, you know, does it have a compliance, meaning it moves back and forth and kind of how flexible is it? They showed similar benefits when comparing statins versus high-intensity exercise. So meaning, hey, the stiffness of the endothelium seemed to show improvements with statins or exercise at similar levels, which is pretty darn awesome. So obviously, this is not necessarily looking directly at LDL or lipid numbers, but the compliance and endothelial stiffness seem to be similar with statins versus high-intensity. So we can get some benefits similar to that. But otherwise, like I said, not many direct comparisons. And a lot of the studies are all confounded by a lot of times weight loss. When someone loses weight during an exercise intervention or what have you, it's hard to know, hey, did they improve their lipid numbers because of the exercise or because they lost weight? And there just wasn't a lot of good data that I saw that really kind of teased those out and differentiated them. But overall, this is the trend that I saw. Studies tended to show a range of like 10 to 20 milligrams per deciliters in terms of their decrease in LDL in some studies that I saw. So 10 to 20 kind of LDL. If we step back and think about modern intensity statins, they, a mild intensity statin will reduce LDL less than 30, a moderate is going to be 30 to 50, and then a high intensity is going to be above 50. So let's think about less than 30. I'll give you a scenario here. If someone has an LDL of like 180, a 15% reduction is 27 milligrams per deciliter. And so we're approaching similar-ish levels. You know, we went back to 10 to 20 plus, and we saw that, you know, when we're exercising, we're kind of getting similar to a low-intensity statin. So potentially, if you're, you're kind of borderline, I might do it, but we're not seeing reduction numbers like 50%, like LDL. Like if you start a high-intensity statin, we see the LDL go down by like 50%. So it's like the statins are the clear winner here. If we need to get the LDL down fast, then that's what's going to happen. You know, the statins are just by far and away the best. But that being said, it's very clear that exercise will improve your lipid profile, which is pretty awesome, right? You say, hey, cool, I can exercise. That's on top of that. And, and remember, this is just exercise, right? We're not looking at exercise and change in diet and weight loss, all the things that usually go hand in hand when we're trying to improve these things. So if you think about what you do when we stack those together, we can get a, a much bigger improvement. But overall, these are my recommendations. I think the data suggests that you can do multiple intensities to get improvements, but the more, the better. I think that's what you do. But that's like debatable, meaning, hey, like how, how intense we need to do. I kind of just genuinely think in my programming approach is, hey, we should do a little bit of, you know, steady state cardio, high intensity, some sort of upper level 
breathe, you know, breathing a lot harder. That should be mixed in throughout your week. And then resistance training is always going to be challenging, but that's, which I think that's ideal, but overall more is better. Like I said, if we're going to pick one of more versus intensity, I pick more than the intensity. But I think the thing that's non-negotiable is we need to incorporate resistance training and aerobic training. So both of those together, aerobic training specifically seen to improve HDL, but not as much as the others. And so resistance kind of picked up the slack into the other things. And so having those together is just the best, you know, and I will say that time and time again, and it's great that my biases are being confirmed through all this. You know, obviously I did have bias. I enjoyed lifting. This is kind of the exercise modality I choose and I enjoy the most, but I continue to see like, Hey, it's important, important, but, but if you're listening to this, you might have similar feelings. It's also very important. I continue to see amazing, amazing results for aerobic exercise for so many things. So it's not just one or the other, it's both. That's the biggest thing. So we have to do that. And so where do we start here? Once again, I'm gonna go back to our physical activity guidelines. Say start with 150 minutes per week of moderate or 75 minutes per week of vigorous aerobic activity. So that's kind of our baseline, you know, 150 of moderate, 75 of vigorous, and then add on at least two days of moderate intensity resistance training. And like I said, it just keeps coming back to these physical activity guidelines and it just, it seems to make sense. And these are minimums, right? So this is not like say, hey, you're good there. But what they're saying is you'll see the vast majority of the benefits from getting this amount of exercise. And then from there, as we've talked about before, the more you do, probably the better. So that's really it for today. Nothing groundbreaking in terms of that. But if you are looking at, hey, how can I lower my cholesterol through exercise? This is the expectations you should have. Hey, I'm not gonna change anything else. I'm just gonna exercise. This is what we might see. But I really appreciate watching. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this, though, please share this uh, with a friend who may find this helpful or you think they might enjoy that. I really appreciate that. And sign up for my mailing list while I'll notify you whenever I put out new content. There's never any spam. I promise I hate spam. But this concludes this episode. Now get off your phone, get outside, have a great rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.